0: Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah.
1: Live. From Altispeed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat. Because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1 855 450 NOAA. That's 1 450 6624. Give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show dedicated to you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. I am your host, Noah J. Chalaya. So good evening to you all, and I am happy to be here on the air with you guys tonight. I want to kick off the program this evening with a truly fascinating article put out by our friends over at Tech Republic. Now, they put this article out in a very succinct way that outlines the exact same message that I have been trying to share with all of you since episode one of the Ask Noah program. And that is this, that while there may be some uphill battles using free and open-source software, there are even bigger systemic problems with the proprietary operating systems that we just car-blanchly accept for some unknown reason to me. All right, let's get into this headline. WannaCrypt makes an easy case for Linux. Ransomware is on the rise. On a single day, WannaCrypt held hostage over 57,000 users worldwide demanding anywhere between three dollars and $800 in Bitcoin don't pay up and you'll not be seeing your data again if there ever was a time for linux to shine on the desktop it's now now i know i know eyes are being rolled at the cross at the cries of this again bouncing around the entire internet but just hear me out this particular ransomware was nasty and not just in the scope of design but consider this wannacrypt possesses the capabilities to spread itself wannacrypt exploits a known vulnerability in windows WannaCrypt uses the SMB protocol, which is often unfiltered within corporate networks. <clears throat> the tools behind WannaCrypt, that is EternalBlue and Double Pulsar, originated from within the NSA. Computers in over 150 different countries were affected, including machines within FedEx, Renault, Telefonica, as well as hospital computers across Europe. The above knowledge and more can be found reported in just about anywhere, as well as the story behind the man who stopped the new infections. The thing is, WannaCrypt isn't the first of its kind. In fact, ransomware has been exploiting Windows vulnerabilities for a while. The first known ransomware attack was called AIDS Trojan, and that infected, uh, uh, sorry, excuse me, that injected Windows machines back, infected Windows machines back in 1989. It. In, it injected a particular type of attack that switched the auto bat file, and the new file contained the amount of times that the computer had been booted. When the machine had reached a count of 90, all of the file names on the 3 drive were then encrypted. The article goes on to say that the important question here to ask is this, have there been any ransomware attacks in the Linux desktop? And the answer is No. With that in mind, it's pretty easy to draw the conclusion that now would be a great time to start deploying Linux on the desktop. I can already hear the tried and true arguments. The primary issue is software, and I will counter that argument by saying this. Most software has migrated either to software as a service or to the cloud. The majority of work that people do these days is via a web browser, a Chrome, a Firefox, an Edge, a Safari, with very few exceptions. SaaS doesn't care. With that in mind, why would you want your employees and staff using a vulnerable system? And again, I think this is where this article really starts to drive home a point. They, they really start, he, the author really starts to make the rubber hit the road. He says, consider this. If you had an employee that worked in a critical position out in the field and you provide their transportation, would you have them driving a vehicle with a known issue? Say, for example, that you knew a vehicle had a cracked engine block or a cracked frame. At any moment, this vehicle could suffer a catastrophic failure. At best, that would cause the employee to lose a day's work, and at worst, it would endanger the employee's life. Would you willingly and knowingly send that employee out into the vehicle? No, no, you wouldn't. Apply the same analogy to your staff computers. Why would you willingly expect your staff to work with a platform that has suffered from vulnerabilities for years, known to lead to such exploits, such as WannaCrypt? Vulnerabilities that at best cause said employees to use a day's lose a day's work and at worst dock said employee or negatively impact your bottom line. The difference here is that you would be and are willing to deploy systems that are that with literally nothing more than a malformed URL, they can be compromised. Again, one 855 450 noaa 450 6624 Give us a call. I'm taking your questions this hour. Business questions, business and tech questions, tech questions, or if you want to talk about malware. A huge prop to Jack from the Tech Republic for this fantastic piece. And the, the piece is actually much longer. I highly recommend you read the entire piece. It's linked in the show notes. Now, usually, I would just take a few snippets from the article, and then I would elaborate from them, and I would explain. But... In this particular case, what I found as I'm going through this article is that Jack is literally saying everything that I would say about his own article. In fact, I've reached out to Jack to ask if he'd be willing to come on the Ask Noah show for an interview. Him and I apparently are cut from the same cloth. We need to stop living in this fantasy world that Windows or Mac OS are quote-unquote easier because they're not. are there certain aspects that are easier? Yes, but are there certain aspects, like you know, losing all your data to ransomware, that are drastically more painful? Yes. That leads me to my latest kick this week because Linux, while great, is not going to solve everything. I, for example, I don't have a Windows machine or a macOS machine in my house. Now that's going to come as a huge shock to some of you, but I wish I wish. I wish that that meant that my data was safe from these problems. Unfortunately, it doesn't. But Noah, you just said you just read an article that said that Linux has never been victim to ransomware. Yes, Linux itself has never been infected. That doesn't mean that files stored on Linux systems or in my case, FreeBSD hasn't been affected by a rogue Windows machine. Now, my files are stored on a FreeNAS server that has a Samba share. And being the paranoid freak that I am, I don't just have like two separate VLANs. I have two entirely separate physical networks at my house. One for me and my civilized family and one for all of you macOS Windows using infected goobers. But have I ever given access to my primary network to somebody who was visiting to, you know, throw a file on my file server for some reason? Or have I ever wanted to give them data on their computer? Absolutely, I've done that. And, uh, you know, do I have any sort of Chalaya House policy, security policy to ensure that their slimy infested windows or Mac computers don't have any malware on them? No, not really. I, I mean, I, if I see a bunch of things popping up on the desktop and, you know, <clears throat> ads to increase body organs, maybe I think twice, but, you know, for the most part, no. So what's my answer to all of these issues? What's my answer to the problem? And what should your answer be? A good backup plan. Because, and I'll level with you here, ransomware is really nothing more than a punishment for the unprepared. There's a saying, uh, when the tide goes out, you can tell who's skinny dipping. And the same is pretty much true of your data. If you have a good backup plan in place, then the worst thing that you're ever going to experience is you have to reinstall your OS and then you restore your data. And in fact, if you're using Linux, then you can skip the whole reinstall your OS part because as we've established, your Linux box is unlikely to become infected in the first place. You just may have lost some data, not really lost data, but you know, certain data may have been compromised and you may have to restore from a backup. My backup strategy has undergone some changes recently and I wanna preface this by saying what I'm about to talk about is not the entire backup plan. It's simply the first step. It's the first tier. It's, you know, it's, it's step one in a, in a series of many. So let me say that again for clarity. What follows is not an entire backup plan. If you do only this, you are still going to probably lose data. And, and, and you know, this is just the first step of the process. Although I will say this. This first step will prevent certain kind of failure. So there is that. Now, this is the first step for two reasons. Aside from a disaster recovery, it makes day-to-day life easier. So even if you haven't considered backup yet, even if you're not looking at backup, this will improve your life. And, it, and, and like I said, this will actually save you from certain types of failure. And I will get to exactly what those are, where it can be used as a, as a form of backup. But what am I talking about? I'm talking about file synchronization. Now the Dropbox versus Google Drive debates they are endless. And I don't some of you are probably aware Amazon has recently restricted the use of their API which meant that tons of people that were using Amazon to back up AWS are now screwed. I actually was using this where if you have an Amazon Prime membership you got a deal where they gave you an API key and you could basically you could it was designed to back up your photos unlimited photo libraries to the Amazon cloud but they had an API key and there were some scripts that you could use to up your servers. So I did what any geek would do and said, Amazon is giving me unlimited data, I will use it. And I used it for a lot more than photos. But that has now come to an end, at least temporarily, until they get their stuff worked out. There's, of course, things like OwnCloud, and there are things like NextCloud. But as many of you have experienced firsthand, as have I, weird file copying issues bite you every once in a while. And, I mean, to be fair, I haven't had any of these issues in over a year now with the latest version of Nextcloud. But be that as it may, I got burned at one time, and they're still using that whole PHP thing on the back end, and it just and it makes, me, makes me a little weary. I've tried BT Sync. I've tried Sync things. They're okay, but I guess the first thing that turns me off is this whole idea of, like, this local web server. So I have to control everything, you know, by opening up Firefox... And visiting my own url and then it runs this little mini web server and i know that there's i mean so my problem is that there's no little applet that i can just see what the system is doing and i know that there are extensions and other things that you can install and ways to get around this problem but blah i i just want something easy simple straightforward and cost effective i just want to open up an app sign into my account have all my data come down sounds a lot like dropbox right so let's talk about talking the most common syncing solution that I've seen highly praised. And I mean, by highly praised, I mean that people at System76 use it. People at Jupyter Broadcasting use it. I have used it. Like, it is it is very prevalent throughout the open source community. And that is Dropbox. Now, I'll be the first to admit, Dropbox is actually pretty cool. Um, Jupyter Broadcasting uses Dropbox for all of its production stuff. And it's very, very convenient to just sit down at a brand new box Sign into a magic account and voila, files appear. Um, basically, Dropbox turns into like this black hole of data, and you just need a tiny fraction of that on certain machines. So, I'll give you an example when we did the broadcasting machine. I was sitting there and I'm like, oh, man, Chris, how, how are we going to get all these assets on there? We need frames and we need, you know, sound files. and We need transitions and we need you know, artwork and we need all this. How are we going to get all this stuff? How is this all going to work? And he, go, and he just sits down and he puts in his username and he puts in his password. Well, actually, then he screwed around with a bunch of his security stuff because it, it takes him like an hour to sign into anything. But after we got through all that, all of the data just like appeared onto his computer. It was I mean, it was it was really uh, it was really kind of mind-boggling that we had gone from one machine that he literally had not touched since 2013, and now all of a sudden we sit down in 2017 and he just signs in and all of a sudden all the stuff just magically appears. Basically, he can use a selective sync so we can choose. Like, we just want the broadcast assets on this machine. So there's like this canonical place full of all of the data and he just pulls down what he wants. And that's great except not exactly. And I'm not going to rehash the entire situation, pun intended, but the short of it is that Dropbox saves space by analyzing users files before they're actually uploaded using a hash. So for example, if another Dropbox user has already stored that file, Dropbox doesn't actually upload it a second time, it simply adds that file to the user's Dropbox. The keys used to encrypt and decrypt the files are also in the hands of Dropbox. They're not stored on individual users' machines. So those architecture choices mean that Dropbox employees can see the content of a user's files and they could turn over those files if they're not encrypted to the government or to an outside organization. And when this first broke a few years ago, Dropbox actually was forced to change the wording on their site from Dropbox, Dropbox employees cannot access user files to Dropbox employees are not permitted to use user files. Again, one eight five five four five zero 855 450 6624 Give me a call with your questions or business and tech questions. We're talking about file synchronization and backup today. <clears throat> so if you weren't aware, Dropbox is not a secure place to store your data. We have a link for it in the show notes, and you can read in further detail about what I'm talking about. But suffice to say for today's discussion that Dropbox is not a safe place to put your data if you care about it staying private. And I... I feel like there's a lot of miscommunication or misunderstanding. When I say private data, I am not talking about you know, intimate photographs of your significant other. I'm talking about architectural drawings. I'm talking about schematics. I'm talking about P&L reports. I, you know, this kind of stuff is huge in the corporate espionage world. And if you don't think that there are large uh, corporations, if there are large companies out there that have millions of dollars worth of data and then they have some employee that is using Dropbox to make his life easier without necessarily cleaning with their IT department, you are sadly mistaken, you should think again. Let's say though, for the sake of argument, that you don't care about privacy. Maybe it's just pictures of your kids that are gonna you're gonna upload to Facebook anyway. So if a Dropbox employee wants to have pictures of my kids, well they are pretty adorable. I can make their life better. Go forth and steal my pictures. Let's say that's your, you know, mentality. Let's <clears throat> excuse me, let's talk about the cost. As of today, the 22nd of May, 2017, for a personal account with one terabyte of storage, you are looking at $8.25 per month. Now, let's say you're AltaSpeed technologies and you have a team of employees that you need to share data with one another. You can't just have one account. I mean, I guess you could, but it, it kind of defeats the purpose of file synchronization if everyone is, sh- is using the same credentials, logging into the same account and, you know. So you need to use their team accounts. Now that's $12.50 per month per user, per user, per month. And that gets you up to two terabytes of space. So to me, two terabytes is enough space for most things that you're gonna be doing. I mean, you start getting over two terabytes of data and it's like, how many machines can I actually sync all that to anyway? But we at Speed Technologies, for example, we have seven team members. That's gonna cost me over a grand a year that's $1,000 every single year just to store two terabytes of data. Mind you, a two I can buy a two terabyte, I can buy a four terabyte Western Digital Red for like $140 on, on Amazon, right? And let's just say, oh, well, Amazon or whatever, Dropbox backs on my step up. Okay, fine. I'll buy two. I'll buy four. I'll buy, you know what I mean? It the, the cost effectiveness there to store two terabytes of data is just, it's absurd. So there's no way on this planet that that makes sense for us. And I started to look for other alternatives, starting with OwnCloud and NextCloud. Now, all of the issues I've had with Nextcloud and OwnCloud over the past seem to have been resolved. And so if you want to go that route, good luck. Let me know how that goes for you. Personally, I'm still a little bit uncomfortable with the way that CSync works, and I'm still uncomfortable with the fact that they have a PHP backend. Additionally, I've seen a ton of progress on the quote-unquote cloud side of things. The contact syncing, the calendar syncing, the web conferencing, all of that seems to be moving at a very rapid pace. But For just file syncing, it seems like that there isn't a lot of forward progress. It seems like that's still kind of a, this is just something we're considering in the back end. If you need the cloud infrastructure, if you're trying to sync your calendar and stuff like that, I think that's a good way to go. Um, The own cloud next slide, I think you're basically going to have to do that. The next thing I looked at was things like, BitTorrent sync and sync things. And they're okay, aside from the whole web interface control thing, but the real issue I have is that you have to exchange keys in order to exchange data. So let me break that down if you haven't used it before. You have two machines. Each machine generates a key. You you, You copy and paste one key into the other machine. You copy and paste the second machine into the first machine. Now those two are synchronizing data. Now that's great if I'm sitting in front of both machines, but what do I do if I'm 300 miles away from my home, my machine died, so I go to Best Buy and I buy a new laptop, and I load it up with a bunch of real quick. The number of times I've actually done that exactly is quite honestly scary, but that that's neither here or there. The There is no possible way for me to, well, I shouldn't say there's no possible way, it's not a convenient thing for me to do to all of a sudden get that machine syncing with all of my other machines quickly. Uh, and then finally, a few weeks ago, I finally found what I had been looking for. I'm gonna get to that in a minute. I wanna jump over to the phones though, let's see here. Who do we have here? We have Eric, Indiana. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
2: Hey Noah, thanks for taking my call. How are you doing?
1: Excellent. I'm trying not to lose my voice while on the air. How are you?
2: <laughs> I've lost my voice a little better so far, but um my question for you is um I think I've called once before about asking some podcast questions. Um I've been a big fan of the advancement that the JV community has made with that Caster Soundboard app, and I think that can really uh, streamline my podcast recording. So Great. I've narrowed down to the use of OBS to capture the pulse audio input, and when I just play the sound from the soundboard and my microphone that's connected via that um, uh, sound mixer. But my question is, um, OBS seems to always default to recording video and audio, but for a lot of my podcasts, I'm interested in just the audio. So I don't know if you had any advice on just getting audio only. Um, my concern is because it's recording on a ThinkPad uh, X1 Carbon with a, you know, one hard drive, kind of small. So I don't want the video file to take up a lot of space when I record. So I don't know if you had any advice about doing audio only um, for that.
1: Yeah. So let me start with this. Are you streaming your podcast or are you recording it offline
2: it's literally recording offline I, i'm not as good as you guys for streaming no live,
1: no, so no, no no that's that's okay that. that's that that's actually that's that's actually a good thing if you ask me um so let me start with this i don't actually like obs for recording audio and i'll tell you why in order to get a the, so Garbage in, garbage out, that's a that's a, uh, that's a phrase used in the industry. And basically what it means is you can never wind up with something better than what you started with. You can clean it up a little bit, you can hide certain imperfections, but you can never actually increase the quality. So whatever you capture with, that's the best it will ever possibly sound. And to get really good high-end audio capture with uh, OBS, you have to go into the settings and you have to go into advanced and you have to custom choose the codec that you're going to use and the bit rate and all this, all, all this stuff. And it, it, and it can be a little bit overwhelming. And I know what most of those codecs are. Chris knows what most of those codecs are. And Rakai knows what most of those codecs are. And the three of us in a room, we still were having a hard time figuring out exactly what settings to, to pick to, you know, to, to, to make the sound the way we wanted the sound. You hear me? So I would, if, if you're just doing audio, I wouldn't use OBS. Um, a real popular software program for recording podcasts. <clears throat> in fact, the the uh, the group that puts out the software actually has a whole YouTube uh, tutorial on making a podcast with it is Audacity. And if I wasn't doing, if we didn't have, if I wasn't trying to target YouTube, I wouldn't do video at all. I would just record in Audacity. And there's gonna be somebody out there that is saying, um, well, uh, the problem with Audacity is sometimes it crashes. And if it does crash, sometimes you can't get your, your, your data back. That, that's a thing that happens. If you want to spend a little extra money and really get the cream of the crop, there is a little 1U recorder made by Moran's and they sell on eBay for like 90 bucks and you can record uncompressed PCM uh, wave. And that, that's really what you want to do if you can. Uh, you can do that in Audacity, of course. Um, you just, you, you know, hit the record button, record your podcast. It has the noise, uh, reduction in audacity is actually so good that people that use things like, uh, pro tools and audition and stuff like that. They actually, I know a couple of them actually use audacity just to clean up the noise. It's it, the, the noise reduction is so good in audacity, uh, as just a recorder audacity is fantastic. The only time I ever think audacity really falls down is when you try to start using it as a full DAW, then you really need to go to something like our Does that make sense to you?
2: Oh, yeah, it does. Um, Actually, I should have mentioned earlier, I've been using Audacity basically up until this point, but I couldn't figure out how to do the pulse audio input from the soundboard and my microphone that's connected to the mixer at the same time. Okay. Maybe I'm just not looking at the settings right, but I'll look again.
1: Well, it's yeah. So there's so you're gonna have to do some sort of software mixing in order to get that to work. What I would do, just because it's gonna save you a ton of hassle, it's going to give you a lot more control, and ultimately, I think you're gonna wind up with a better project or product. Is I would look at a actual hardware mixer. So if you look at like the MX10 from Yamaha, it's like a $199 uh, mixer, and it has built a built-in a USB audio interface that sounds fantastic. The microphone inputs have a built-in compressors, so you can you 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 have a comp right there on the board itself. Just a fantastic little board. And the thing that Yamaha does that I really think is is really forward-thinking is, like slider I don't know nine or ten or something like that towards the right-hand board. There's a button, and if you push the button, it goes to inputs nine and ten. If you push the button again it turns into a USB slider. So it, it takes basically what the output of your lap or your computer is uh, coming over USB and puts that into your headphone mix. So you can say like if, you have, if you're doing like a Skype call and you want to listen to the person that's coming back to you, but you don't want their voice to be included inside of the recording with this little $199 box, you can, it does everything. It'll do, you can put the soundboard in one channel, you can put your microphone in the channel, you can do a compressor, you can do a Skype thing. And you'd I people in 2017 and Chris and I were talking about this the other day, people that are starting podcasting today will never understand what, how good they have it. Because five years ago, a compressor alone would have cost you $300. A mixer would have cost you $500. A digital audio converter would have cost you another $500. And uh, then this mix-minus thing to get one with a with a with an auxiliary send would have you know been an extra hundred dollars on top of that, and yeah, I mean the, to, I mean you're talking about like a grand worth of equipment and today Yamaha packages that up and sells it to you in a box that will work natively right out of the box with Ubuntu you know with any Linux distro really you know for two hundred dollars I just I can't get over it it's absolutely crazy for me. Uh, Alan is calling next door Minneapolis neighbor hi Alan welcome to the Ask Noah show.
2: Hi Noah, how are you? Excellent. How
1: can we help today? Well, I'm getting out of communications with
3: the military and I just want to know if there's some kind of way that I could translate that to the admin work. I've been a
4: very long time user of Linux. I'm
1: sorry, I missed it. What what are you trying to translate into system administration work?
2: Yeah, so I'm getting out of military communication
1: work. Oh, military communication. Okay, yes. Oh, thank you very much for your service. We really
2: appreciate it. Oh, not a problem.
1: Um, okay. Well, how do you translate that into IT administration work? Well, the the first thing I would do is I because of your uh, because of your service record, I, I would I would go and uh, and look for opportunities specifically for veterans. There's a lot of programs out there. Um, there's a lot of companies that are going to show preference to people that uh, that have that have that have served our country. There are companies that are going to be owned or operated by other people that have been in the service. And so that's a great step because you have a networking opportunity there. The second thing uh, I would do is uh, and I'm, I'm always a big fan of this is walking into a place, uh, you know, a small business, a coffee shop, whatever, and saying, you know what? let you give a demo of your services, say, let me come and fix X for you or do four hours of work for free or something like that. Uh, and, and then you get in there, you show up before anyone is, before anyone is there, you leave before anyone else, you leave after everyone else leaves and you do the best you, you do such a good job that they literally can't get rid of you. And, um, we had a person do that here and they were our longest employee. Uh, they, they just they made themselves so stinking valuable that we just couldn't get rid of them. And if you think about it, even uh, going back a couple of years, that's kind of how I got my start with Jupiter Broadcasting. Was I showed up at a at a conference and I just made myself you know valuable enough that it was I made it harder for Chris to kick me back out the door. And giving a demo of your services, being willing to show that you that 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 you can bring more value to their company than will cost them. Uh, that's almost always a surefire way in and there's a book actually that I really like by I think it's John Aycliffe called uh, Start and it's uh, I think the book is called Start uh, Getting the Doing Work That Really Matters or Doing Work That You Really Love something like that as a thank you for your service I'd love to send you a copy for that if you can hang out on hold is that okay? Yeah absolutely Great. Well, thank you very much. I'll put you back on hold, and Sarah will get your particulars, and we'll get a copy of that book sent out to you. I, I think that's uh, it's a, it's a really good resource if you're looking for kind of how to, uh, as as the book says, start a, a career, and it applies not just to uh, IT system administration work, but really any kind of work. But he's got a lot of really good tips in there and stuff like that. Uh, Blue Zero is calling from we don't know where, but hi, Blue Zero. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey Noah. Hi, how can we help?
0: Uh, uh, I'm actually calling because I thought you would have some knowledge on this. I'm starting out my own open source company. Um, I'm completely at the loss. The guys at Telegram group told me to look into Rocket Lawyer and get the LLC paperwork. And I thought I would ask you about more of it because that's all I know
1: so, to do. Okay, let me ask you this. Are you going to go into any work where you think you're going to get sued?
0: Um, probably yes because it's a social media company.
1: Okay. I, I don't know much about social media companies. They have a track record of getting sued? Uh,
0: not really, but Facebook
1: has known to get sued. Okay, I, you're not, but you're not starting Facebook, right?
0: No, no, no. I'm handling people's Facebooks and Twitters. Okay, I, I don't
1: know. I mean, so I tell you what: if you if you really believe that there is a, if you really think there's a good opportunity that you're going to wind up with litigation, um, yeah, I yes, go ahead and do the LLC. Go ahead and you know, or, or Type S Corporation, something like that. I will tell you. The only thing that filing an LLC or a Type S is going to do for you is give you what they call the corporate avail or protection from liability. It is not going to help you with taxes. There's a common misconception that if you you file an LLC, it's, it's no both have flow-through taxation. You're not going to uh, you're not going to wind up with any tax benefit. What I would suggest for most people, and I, I might even really consider this if I were you, unless I said unless you're sure you think there's a real liability here. Is start with just a, just walk down to whatever bank you bank with and walk in and open an account, uh, uh, you know, blue zero doing business as, or DBA, uh, X, Y, Z, you know, whatever the name of your business is. And you open that account and every dollar that you make with your business, you put into that account. And the only checks you write out of that account are checks that are directly for your business, things that directly you need to spend to do your business. It's as if you you have been hired by your own company and you have to turn in an expense report every month and your boss is going to look at it and you have to justify every one of those expenses. By the way, you're gonna save receipts for everything that you spend. At the very end of the month, all the money that went in there was the money that you received minus the amount of money that you spent. What's left in the bank account by very definition is profit. You're gonna take the remainder of that money, and you're gonna set us. You're gonna you're gonna write yourself a check for whatever it is that you want. You can take it all out if you want, and then you're gonna set aside 25% of that money, and you're gonna put that money into a completely separate savings account. You, this is again out of your business, so you've taken it out of the business. Now you're gonna set 25% aside, and that's what you're gonna use to pay your taxes because you're gonna pay estimated quarterly taxes. If you get big enough, you're gonna at least you're gonna have a, a, a tax, and 25% should cover you up to like. I don't know, you'd have to talk, I'm not a tax professional, I don't play one on TV, but if you're under like, we'll say 75,000 a year, 25% should probably cover you. Put 25% away, now you can spend the money, you take it home, you do whatever you want with the rest of it. When tax time comes, you go back to this account that you've set aside 25% and you pay the you know your taxes off. Now, if you decide to do an LLC or a Type S Corp or a Type C Corp, whatever, um, you're gonna pay every year you're gonna to pay to file the, the, the paperwork, then you're gonna to pay to tell the state that you know, you know it's still in existence and all of this. And what you need to do is you need to do all of the same things I just outlined, as in putting the money into the account, make sure you only take business expenses out, this kind of thing. Do not go to McDonald's and take your kids out for a Happy Meal on the work card, because if you do that, you pierce what we call the corporate veil. And basically what is gonna happen is, if you ever do get sued, Ordinarily what would happen is, they can only come after the business because they can only sue the business. But if you start paying your personal car insurance and you you bought Happy Meals and you bought a six pack on the weekend, what's gonna happen is, they're gonna go through and they're gonna say, well. Blue Zero doesn't actually have a business. He just, I mean, he has a business, but really it's just, it's all kind of one and the same. So whether you sue him or the business, it doesn't really matter because it's all kind of mingled together. You have to be absolutely sure that you keep those stuff, that stuff completely separated. And really, to me, it's a bigger hassle than it's actually worth if you, if, if you don't have a real, a real chance of of getting sued. Um, do, 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 who do we have here? Simon is calling from Wisconsin. Hi, Simon. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
4: Hi, how are you? Good. How can we help? Hi. So I wanted to ask you, um, is there any good open source DVR software someone can use to view local TV from an antenna? I mean, is there anything that you can use and recommend?
1: Yes. Now, there's two kinds of DVR software. The first kind is um, like DVR software for security, and then there's DVR software like I want to record the next, the latest episode of 24. Which one are you looking for?
2: I'm looking for the second one.
1: Okay, so what I would recommend for TV type software is MythTV, and uh, I was a big MythTV user back in the day. I then switched. Uh, I tried using the whole Linux Media Center. Someday I'm going to cover this. I don't know if it's going to be on the Asnoa show or User Air or something totally separate. But I had a real fun time trying to get Linux Media Center to work, and I had, my posts are still on their form, and I've gone back and reread them, and it just it, it I just it makes me laugh every time. But um, Myth TV is is basically it's open source uh, DVR software, and it works with the Hoppage video cards. So they have Hoppage video cards that work with digital TV. They have it work with analog TV, and uh, and basically you can schedule and it'll record the TV show and and go that route. Having said all of that, I'll tell you one thing that is on my mind and why I haven't bothered putting a a, a Myth TV box back into production at my new house, and that is that almost all content these days is going over the internet and so you can, you know, you can buy content on, you know, uh, you know, Google Play or Amazon or all of these places and more and more of them, not all of them and certainly not even the majority, but more and more of them are getting to be where you can find content that's DRM free. My case, particularly, I've kind of gone away from traditional TV and I'm going more towards independent stuff, things that are on YouTube, podcasts and stuff like that. But even if you don't want to do that, there's still a, a there's still a measurable portion of TV shows and stuff now that you can actually get just downloaded right to your box. But if you're looking for an actual DVR solution, I would suggest Myth TV. Does that help? Yes, it does. Thank you. Great. Thanks for calling. We really appreciate having you on the show. Neil is calling from Axiom, or I'm sorry, from British Columbia. Hi, Neil. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How can we help?
3: Yeah, actually, uh, this is kind of an odd one. Maybe I um, actually work for a small plumbing company. Right now, we're working in a big office tower, so we're spread right across the building, multiple floors. Okay. Um, it's kind of a Dropbox question. We got a, we got like a Google Sheets application hosted out of Dropbox, and we're basically just using that for all our inventory and equipment. I'm just wondering if there's like maybe a small portable like uh, SQL based uh database that we could use to uh maybe help us out, just keep track for supplies and equipment while we're in there. If you have any other ideas for that. But we've got loads of data on our phones and stuff, so um, you know, maybe maybe you have some ideas.
1: So you're basically looking to host like a very simple database, huh?
3: Yeah, just uh just just for inventory and uh, equipment tracking purposes. Small updates. Like, we're using Slack. I, mm-hmm. I guess I should mention that yeah, we're using Slack as well. So and that's kind of integrated into, um, you know, the Chalkbox and uh, Google Sheets. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not specific to using Slack or, like, yeah. I can change anything at any time. So, yeah.
1: You know, I don't know that I have a better recommendation than Google Sheets. I, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm about to – sure. when I yeah, I just wanted to chug through a couple of these phone calls because they were stacking up. But um, I'm going to get back to my main segment here, and I'm going to talk about what the Sync solution – I have landed on and we'll see if that doesn't answer your question. Um, because you could do like a, like a, like a spreadsheet, an inventory spreadsheet and then just have that sync around. In fact, that's kind of what we're, that's, that is how we're doing our inventory, but we tend to update the inventory only once a month and it's usually one person that's doing it. So I don't know how well that would, I don't know how well this would work if you had like, you know, 30 people or something like that all updating at the same time. Let me get back to my my syncing thing. So a few weeks ago, I finally found what I've been looking for, and that is, drum roll please, C-File. Now, I know that there is a measurable portion of you that are listening right now that are screaming at your radio or your computer because when I started outlining what I was looking for, you guys were like, I know what it is, I know it. You know what? Send your hate mail to Alan at jupiterbroadcasting.com because no one told me. So C-File. C-File is quite simply perfect. First of all, I found the mother of all install guides. And usually when I do a how-to, or talk about how I did something. I never actually give credit to the original install guide because usually it's not one that helps me. I have to like piece seven of them together and I get super upset that people put out install guides and they'll put it out for a specific version. C file six on CentOS seven. And then they don't, somehow something changes and nobody bothers to fix their guide. It just kind of drives me nuts. But then again, it's on the internet, it's free. So who really can I complain to? But this particular guide is fantastic. In fact, it's so good, I think you could make a script out of it. Um, And so we're going to have the guide linked in its original entirety in the show notes for you. And a huge thank you to the guy who wrote that. But basically, you install the C file server on a server of your choice. And the first time I did it, I tried it on DigitalOcean. Because if you want to spin something up fast, that's where you do it. And the thing that makes syncing really great... The thing that makes syncing hit home, and we kind of talked about this already, is that whole black hole canonical source of data where I can just trust that anything I throw endlessly on the server, it will just take it and then it will just be there and if I ever need to pull it down, I can go search for it. And then once I tried it for a couple of weeks and realized yeah, this is, this is really working, I should actually put this into production, see how it works. I bought one of those one U pizza box, half depth uh, rack servers from Supermicro, and I put enough drive space in the thing that I couldn't fill if I wanted to and there are two reasons why I decided to go with a box in my rack rather than a rented server or a VPS. First of all, as previously mentioned, pure raw disk space. I could never afford the amount of disk space that I have in that thing if I was you know, if it was on a VPS. But the second thing is, I just really like the fact that I have a box that I can go put my hand on and this is where my data is. It's stored in a way that if I had to pull the drives out and I had to attach them to another box and recover data, I could do that. If I wanted to take the box out of the rack and burn it and destroy all the data, I could do that. And the thing is, on a lot of servers, I'm hesitant to host them myself because if anything happens to the server, if it goes down, if something breaks, then and I, and I have to deal with the headache. But if you think about it, a file-syncing server means that by its very nature, I have multiple boxes that are backing up the data because that's the entire purpose of file-syncing. So um file right out of the box is designed with privacy in mind. So all of your files are encrypted with AES-256 before they're even transmitted to the server. So if you set nothing up, if all you do is download the, the compressed tar, uh, you know, tar thing, untar it, run the little setup script, you'll have some protection for your data. Now the creator of C-File, who by the way, Jonathan Wu I think is his name, who is an amazing community member because literally every problem I see on the internet, if I Google an issue or I Google a question, he's the guy answering it. He seems to be like omnipresent everywhere on the internet. He really cares about his project and he really cares about being involved in the community and helping people use it. He's come out and said that personally he doesn't believe that his built-in encryption is good enough so he recommends he use SSL and the guide that we have linked in the show notes will walk you through exactly what it takes to generate a self-signed certificate and of course, you could always use a license encrypt certificate if you were so inclined. But personally, I get a little pop-up box that says, do you accept the certificate? And I click OK. To me, that's worth not having to renew the, the thing every you know, 30 days or whatever. And the reality is that uh it's it's not like I'm going to the website a lot. I'm just using the you know the built-in file utility. So I can accept the whole thing that says, you know, do you want to accept the certificate? Um so once the server is set up, you install the client, and it's in, of course, the Arch AUR as well as a PPA, which we'll have in the show notes as well. After you install the client, you're simply prompted to log in, and you provide the server, the username, the password, and the server address. You don't have to use keys. You don't have to do any nonsense. I can, it Totally brand new machine. I can have data syncing in like 30 seconds. Uh, as for what data you want to synchronize, well... C file has everything split up into what they call libraries and libraries are basically subfolders of the parent C file account that allow you to break up your data into organizational units. So for example, I have an ask Noah show library as well as a personal library. So I can choose to just have the ask Noah data sync down to the computers here at the studio. Whereas all of my data will sync down to my personal computers back at home. Sharing with other users on your C file account is like it's brain dead simple. All you have to do is right click on a library and click share and then give them access. And you can either give them read only access, you can give them write access. Of course you can go in and share just a given folder. You don't have to share it with a user, you can just email them a link and they can have access to a folder or they can have access to, so we have a, a public share, for example, at AltaSpeed that has you know, uh, gen- general files and stuff like that for our clients and I can just hand that link out. Uh, In fact, the very show notes that I am referring to, they were composed in sublime text. They are edited locally on my computer and then they are synced up to a C file server where the I would like it if our editor would just get them synced to his computer or pull them down. But he's big into the Google Docs. I some at some point I'm going to find a way to automate it. So it just pulls them out of there and syncs up to to Google Drive or something like that. So I don't actually have to manually copy and paste them. But for now, uh, that's that's what I'm doing but it means I can do all my work locally on my machine and I never have to access, I can access that work from anywhere without even having to think about it. The show that is being recorded right now is, is writing to a C file sync. And so when that gets done, it will just automatically exist on my C file server and I won't have to stick around at the studio and manually upload that for our editor. I can, just, I can either send him a link or if he wants it in Dropbox, I'll just download it when I get home and re-upload it to Dropbox. But it, everything can be automated. And because it's self-hosted, it means my entire team can work on C-File and it's costing me zero dollars a month. And that means that I have a thousand dollars a year to buy replacement hard drives, to buy a better server, to buy a backup server. Heck, uh, using the library function, I could even have like an essentials files library and I could have that sync to a VPS for a few bucks a month. So if there's something I really wanted to make sure was always getting backed up to something I didn't manage, I could do that. The possibilities are like endless. And Here's my only caution with C-File. The sync indicator is not always a perfect indication of what's actually happening. So if you throw a large chunk of data, and believe me, I was trying to break it. I, I threw like 20 gigs at it instantaneously, and it was having a hard time trying to process that data in real time. So it, it gives you a percentage, and then it will get stuck. And if you're a previously burned-owned cloud user like me, and you see your data stuck at 8%, then you start to freak out, and you're like, I need to troubleshoot. But Really what you find after you look at the logs is that the syncing is moving, it's working just fine. It's just not accurately updating that little um, indicator applet. And uh, now that I've been using it for about a week, I can say that I stress tested the heck out of C-File. Actually, that's an understatement. I spent the last week inventing new ways to try to get C-File to lose data or break. And so far we're at like NOAA0 C-File 50. So C-File gets two thumbs way, way, way up from us here at the Ask Noah show, and I highly recommend you give it a shot. And I'll be the first person to admit that I will switch to free and open source software before it hits its stride. So for example, at JB, when we started using OBS, Ob Studio, there was no way it was even close to competing with its proprietary alternatives. It was so bad that, like, I shouldn't say bad, because it was, I mean, literally, the software was not available on Wednesday. On Thursday, it got released. On Thursday afternoon, I was installing it and trying to use it for production. So I'm like, I'm when I say it wasn't ready, I'm literally giving these guys like the first 12 hours. It was re- the f- version one, beta one was released or whatever, but you couldn't do like hotkey switching. So I had to click inside of the the manual scenes and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll, anyway, I am pragmatic enough to admit when we are behind the curve, and I'll tell you right here right now without any equivocation, having used Dropbox, having used Google Drive, I've used OwnCloud, I've used NextCloud, I've used BitTorrent Sync, I've used SyncThing, all of them. C-File is absolutely the best syncing solution out there even if you don't consider the fact that it's open source. I cannot find a way to make it lose data like OwnCloud. It never loses sync like SyncThing. It's more secure and less costly than Dropbox. In fact, hold up, so, Hold on a second, let's let let's drive this all the way home. Let's do this, <clears throat> go big or go home. Let's truly compare apples to oranges right here on the radio. This is live radio, this is, okay, let's go to Kim Sufi and what does a dedicated server, okay, ah, here it is. Okay, for $32 a month, you can rent a two terabyte dedicated i5 box. $32 a month, you guys, seriously. So, so, Dropbox is $12.50 per user per month or $32 for the month for as many users as you can throw it at Core i5 with 16 gigs of RAM.
2: But no, a Dropbox is managed by a team of highly trained experts.
1: Yeah, so so uh, solar servers managed by Altaspeed. So call 1-866-280-1433 and we'll be happy to take your money each month and keep your box up to date with a highly refined piece of software that the creator of which is actively involved and participates in the forums. We'll be happy to take that deal. Take your Dropbox and shove it. This is a better deal. Was I unclear? because I wouldn't want to be unclear. Now again, this isn't really a backup solution. If a machine got infected with ransomware, something like C File, quite honestly, is actually probably gonna make the problem worse because it's gonna spread your data even faster. It's gonna spread that, that problem all the way around. So you need a good backup solution. That's not what we're talking about here. And we at the Ask Noah Show are putting hours of meticulous research into finding you the perfect backup solution. So make sure to come back the next few weeks and find out what we've landed on. But with that disclaimer out of the way, C-File can actually help you recover from certain types of failures. In fact, the only failures that I have ever experienced personally, I'm speaking, I, I know it's, I know it's, I know I'm using a, you know, a specific example here, but um, say for example, your hard disk and your laptop dies, <clears throat> or your laptop gets stolen, or in my case, my laptop gets damaged. With C-File, all of those files that I was working on, they're already populated to other machines. So you're gonna have a path to recovery, very quick path, I might add. All right, let's finish up the phones here. We'll go to Elijah. Elijah is in Idaho. Hi, Elijah. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
2: Hey, how's it going?
1: Pretty good. How can we help today?
2: That's great. Okay, so you've been talking about uh, C-File and uh, Dropbox and things like that, and that's great. So my question is, is how much more safe or private are my files on DigitalOcean rather than... Dropbox. I mean, how how hard would it be for DigitalOcean to receive a subpoena, you know, from whoever, and they said, "Give us the files on this server." So, how much more private are my files on DigitalOcean? Well,
1: um, really, if they're not encrypted, uh, none. I mean, at the end of the day, we see we joke all the time. We say that a cloud means somebody else's computer, and I think everyone we always laugh that off as cute and fuzzy bunnies, but it's true. Even on DigitalOcean. At the end of the day, if somebody, if the court, uh, you know, presents DigitalOcean with a subpoena and says, we want Elijah's Elijah in in Idaho's data off of this DigitalOcean droplet, we know he has an account with you, give it to us. They don't have a choice but to comply. Now, you can encrypt locally on the DigitalOcean droplet, which would most likely, well, it depends, because if the machine is running, the keys are going to be in RAM, right? So if you can find a way to secure the box in such a way that they would have to power it down in order to, extract data from it, then the keys would be lost. And that creates a whole nother mess though, because then every time you boot up, you have to, you're going to have to counsel in and enter your encryption key. And it just, it gets to be a huge mess. My suggestion is if you have something that's really super private, well, let's start with this. If you have something that is undeniably private, like it absolutely cannot get out, then you better do what I do. And that's stored on a air-gapped computer that sits inside of a locked physical safe in an undisclosed location that's never connected to the internet. That's where you store your data if you really want it to be safe. And then we, then we, and then we use the the triangle of security and convenient. We'll look at the two security and convenience, and we decide how far we want to move down the security rung to increase convenience. So for me, the Ask Noah show prep, okay, I don't that doesn't really need to be on an air gapped computer. I'm going to publish the notes at the end of this episode anyway. The the um, you know like the all of our ultra speed corporate documents. That's stuff that I wouldn't want to store on Dropbox because if a Dropbox employee was you know was you know got a you know got bought off by, you know my competition or something like that, and said hey you know we'd really like to know what uh, what contracts AltaSpeed is signing next month. If we gave you X amount of dollars, would you go figure that out for us? That's a thing that could happen. That's not going to happen to DigitalOcean, you know most likely. Um, Does that answer your question?
2: Yeah. Nope. That that answers it. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. No worries. I again, if it's if it's something that's super important to you, just keep it off the internet. Uh, Sweet Lou is calling from Pennsylvania. Hi, Sweet Lou. How are you?
4: Hey, Noah. How's it going tonight?
1: Good. How can we help?
4: Um, I just um want to ask you your opinion about uh, Facebook's guidelines of being leaked uh, to the Guardian uh, just recently. Uh, about how they handle uh, certain situations and whatnot.
1: Okay, tell me about it. I've not I've not heard this.
4: Well. One of this is that Facebook's uh, guidelines on how to handle uh, certain types of posts that were leaked by somebody to The Guardian. And The Guardian uh, wrote up about it, uh, I think, over the weekend, maybe even on Friday. And, that, and I, I was able to read a little bit of it. Uh, and
1: What does it say? Uh, I've not read it. What does it say?
4: Uh, it's about, like, how they... Would handle something like uh, uh, somebody's death being live streamed on Facebook and whatnot. Yeah. Uh For example, uh, whether or not they would take the live stream down, or you know, leave it up to show this example to people as to what can happen and whatnot. You
1: know. Yeah. Well, I guess here's my. I I, I don't know a lot about it, so I'm gonna have a hard time giving you any you know real meaningful answer, but. Suffice to say that Facebook is a privately owned company, and so what Facebook decides they want to promote or not promote or allow to be promoted on their site is entirely up to them. And if you don't like it or if I don't like it, then we don't do business with them. I have tons of things that I don't think are necessarily fair or right, but I don't really have a a platform to complain on because at the end of the day, Facebook owns Facebook, and they get to decide those things. Hey guys, if you're a newbie and you are joining us for the first uh, for the first time this week, we always try to carve out a section of the show for you. So if you've been wanting to try out if you're listening to the show and you're like, hey, you know what? I do have a need for file sake, and I don't want to use Dropbox. I want to use something better. But I don't really know how to set up a server, and I looked at the guide, and there's a lot of commands, and I'm not really into as Wimpy calls it, magical incarnations incantations on the command line, so what can I do? Well, head over to the Ask Noah Show dashboard. The Ask Noah Show dashboard is where you can find all of the resources for the show. It's where you can download previous episodes, it's where you can subscribe to an RSS feed, it's how you can send us contact information, you can watch the show live at 6 p.m. Central on Mondays. All of that stuff is there, Um, and if you use the contact form, and tell us you wanna try out C-File. We're gonna do something really cool this week. The first five people that send in a contact form that request to uh, check out C-File, as long as you give us access to a server that is set up the way we tell you to set it up, or we can walk you through how to do it on DigitalOcean, we will The first five people that do that, we will assign one of AltaSpeed Technology's server specialists to set up C file for you from start to finish with a self-signed SSL certificate. Now, there's two ways you can do it. You can do it with a self-signed certificate or you can do it with a Let's Encrypt. Um, the problem with Let's Encrypt is you're going to have to renew it every, I think it's 30 days or something like that. And that process can be automated, but really you're going through a lot of extra work to... Not a lot of extra work, but extra work to just not click a box when you sign into the, uh, the server for the first time on your client. Um, but the choice is going to be yours. We're going to, we'll, our technicians can do either. So head over to the AskNo- AskNoahShow.com, the Asnoa dashboard, and use the contact form and get in contact with us. Let us know that you want to try C-File, and we will set it up for you. Now, last week I told you that we were going to have a review Of the Lenovo X two hundred and seventy ThinkPad, my beautiful new tiny shiny laptop that I have here. In fact, uh, uh, just Ben, who is our producer, and oh by the way, I have to say thank you. So, Ben, our producer, and when when I asked him uh, what how he wants to be credited, he said he wants to be credited as just Ben. So we're going to credit him as just Ben. Just Ben uh, is the producer of the Ask Noah show. He sits quietly inside of his lair. Uh, every time we do the show and he's the guy that is adjusting all the audio levels and getting all the music ready and making sure that it goes out over the radio fine. And if you say bad words on the radio, he's the one that dumps you. And it's just a huge thank you to just Ben. Just Ben actually got accepted to MIT and uh, due to a series of circumstances decided to going to attend university here in North Dakota, at the university of North Dakota. So the ask no show gets to hang on to him indefinitely. I think as, Uh, as we know it. And and just Ben got a ThinkPad P50 that he got last week. And I have the X270. So him and I were having ThinkPad love right before the show this week. And we were sitting out there and comparing it and stuff. And um, we did a review of the Lenovo X270 ThinkPad. It was going to get published last week. And then I got a case of the death. Like I have not been to a doctor ever in my entire adult life. It was the first time I've ever set foot inside of a hospital. And I just, I had a, a major lung infection. And so it just kind of threw off everything uh, the rest of, uh, rest of the week after I got off the air last week. But the video is live. It's on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ask Noah. And it is a video that we tried to produce with YouTube in mind, not podcasting, not audio listening, specifically for the YouTube audience. So short, concise, to the point, you know, punchy. We tried to get that for you. Um, so go ahead and check out that review. Let us know what you think. If you like the video, please like it on the, uh, in YouTube and subscribe to our channel. We're going to have more video content coming shortly. One of the things you guys asked for is for an organization that we switched to Linux and we actually have just started one of those processes and I've spoken to them briefly about perhaps doing a segment uh, for the Ask Noah show video channel and they are open to it. So we may have an entire little video segment on what it takes to get a company that is using all Microsoft windows products and what the problems that they have with it and how you get them over to Linux, what that looks like. So youtube.com slash ask Noah. Also please support the JB network. They need your help right now. There are, there'll be links to the eBay auctions in the show. Uh, again, this week, the, they're on the Reddit, uh, from the show last week, but basically we are selling two machines that we need to get rid of. And, uh, one of them is now sold. The iMac is sold, but we're still looking to sell the Mac pro and, uh, if, uh, if you're interested or you know somebody that's interested, we would really appreciate it. You can look at it in two, one of two ways. You can look at it as buying a piece of hardware that apple is no longer making anymore but you need it to be a real professional or you can look at it as just supporting the network those links will be in the show notes that brings us to the end of this week's show we'll be back next monday at 6 p.m central a huge thank you to ben our producer sarah carl screener rikai our video editor we'll hand you off to crosspoint coming up next on logos radio keqq 88.3 LPFM, grand forks